0: Listening to the Hunter Conservationist Podcast. So man, what's
1: it like to miss a turkey? <laughs>
2: hmm. Not good. Yeah, it's definitely humbling. It's uh I'm uh my daughter was supposed to be with me, and I'm definitely a better guide than a hunter because I would not have let her shoot. And I thought, oh man, I can make that shot. And, uh, yeah, he wasn't, he was just hadn't quite seen my decoys and I, I sent, I sent it and, uh, up straight up in the air and f- like, you know, gl- you know, wing beat gone. It's like, oh man, I can't believe that. And then, you know, pace it out 19 yards. It's like, oh man, I could have, what am I, what <laughs> have I done? Like, yeah, rookie, totally rookie move. And it's, you know, we've all been there. And, and you,
1: uh, and you did a bunch of work, like kind of calling them. Your yeah, he and stuff.
2: Yeah, he was—he had been—he was actually way across the valley, and and uh it's like, wow, I can't believe he's coming, and it's just like, yep, he's closing, he's coming fast, and I was like, I gotta get my decoy set up, and it's like, you, you know, you're looking over your shoulder, it's it's like tense, you're looking for a spot to hide, and it's like, okay, here it comes, and sure enough, that that bright blue head coming, you can't, it's like something out <laughs> of a cartoon, right? You, you guys have seen it, yeah. And uh yeah, he, he's free. Oh. Oh man. But yeah. Well not
1: not to not not to uh start off the episode on turkey hunting and make you look bad because you missed one this year. Uh so did I. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. O- yeah. Opening morning. So
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, same with me.
1: I found uh yeah, Cause we were chatting there. Partway through opening day. How'd it go? Oh, I missed one. <laughs> yeah. I guess two of us. Yeah, I found, I found that bird the night before the season opened. I went out, was cruising around uh, my hunting area, doing some shot calls, uh, actually with a Canada goose call, uh, just because, man, that thing just like carries so far. And yeah, found him in the roost tree, went back in the morning, owl hooted, still there and went and set up and have you done this where it's like, you're, you're like, okay, I got like choice a and choice B where I should set up and you kind of think through the logic and then you're like, I'll go with B. And then after it's all over, you're like, if I'd have only gone to that other spot, it would have been, I'd have been in like this awesome position. So that's what happened. And I, I, there was a little bit of a draw on a bench and it curled around right to his roost tree. And i thought, he knows I'm here. He's gobbling to me in the dark. He's just going to come like right along the flat. It's the easiest ground. But then I'm thinking, man, you know, he might take the high ground. He might stay on the ridge above me. And that's what he did. And he went right, went right past me. And he didn't, he wasn't close enough to the edge of the ridge to see down on the base to see the decoys and he walked right past me and then he got behind me. And there was a, I was in a big wolfy tree with branches and everything. And he started gobbling and coming around behind me. And so I had to like turn around, stuck my shotgun through the trees called. So he knew where I was. He started coming along. And then it was one of those ones where it's like, I got, I got no opportunity. If he keeps coming and curls around, I got this big, huge tree. I can't move. I can't do anything. And it's like, it's either that little opening or that little opening. And these are my chances or I'm going to lose it. And he went through the first little opening too quick, came to the second one. And same thing. He, uh, I was like, oh, I got him. And then the next thing, you know, he's like launched in the air. And he's flying. <laughs> it's like,
0: <laughs> goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had a buddy that uh, he asked me, he's like, how'd you guys do? Did you get one yet? And I'm like, well, I haven't been out yet, but my dad missed on, on opening morning. He's like, with a bow or with a shotgun? I was like, well, I was hunting with a shotgun. He's like, "Jeez, did he shoot himself after? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: That's what you feel like doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: But I mean, we were we were talking about this before. Like people think like a shotgun is like got this this I don't know, it's like some from like the medieval or like a hand grenade or something like that. There's just like stuff going everywhere and you can't miss. And it's like that's not the case with like either the extended choke or the full choke. Like, I mean, as you know, like that pellet pattern's coming out and traveling like in this tight cluster and you got this head that's like the size of a tennis ball. And it's like, yeah, like two tennis ball clusters can miss each other fairly easy. And the closer they are, the easier it is to miss.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh man, you can even just see it. Like if when we're out duck hunting and you know, you shoot a duck and it lands in the water and it starts kind of swimming off and the dog doesn't see or whatever. And it's like, you just, you line up and you, shoot at it and you're like, oh, I'm going right for it. And it's like, just completely either yeah. below it or beside it. And it's like, you're just slightly off, but you're like, man, I've got this huge spread and it's just like straight up the pipe. And,
2: and Yeah. I did missing. a lot of shooting. I did a lot of pattern shooting this spring before it opened. And I was amazed at the different, different chokes, different patterns. Um, Yeah. Like you say, Mark, you put that, you draw a turkey head on a piece of paper and it's, it uh, it's pretty easy to miss, especially yep. once you start, you know, you start 19 yards, it really opens up. So that's something to always think about when you, like you say, you think it's a shotgun, how do you miss? Well, it's pretty easy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd rather have like on a Turkey, I'd rather have like a 30 yard shot than like an eight yard shot
2: Yeah,
1: or 10 yards. Cause it's like, it's, it's pretty, you gotta be pretty precise at that. That close range so yeah is this the first one you ever missed
2: uh archery season a couple of years ago, or not like with my bow I definitely I I mm. did not do good with that but I did kill him with a bow a couple of years ago and then I just decided you know what I'd rather just shotgun them, like getting them close whole idea for me is getting them in close it just doesn't get any better when it When, uh, when they're, you know, I called one in from my, my friend the other day. And like you said, it came in, they come in behind you sometimes and we were pinned down. We couldn't move. And, um, it's like, wow, that bird, you can hear him breathing and strumming and we're pointed the wrong way. And we figured it was eight yards time. We got, I mean, we're in a little scrub brush. We got turned around and, and I was given um, my friend, a hand, like, I'm like trying to give him a hand signal and we hadn't discussed hand signals. Right. And then, and he thought and he's super awesome outdoor guy. And he thought I was saying, we got to get closer. And so anyhow, he, he turned, he turned up, I mean, totally spun, made the shot. And I was just like, arms in the air. Like, Oh my goodness. Thank goodness. We got that bird. And he's like, you wanted to get closer. I'm like, I was like, no, man, I was trying to tell you to shoot. <laughs> so we didn't have the, we didn't have our hand signals down. Cause yeah, close, close encounters.
1: Yeah, I normally like to be places. So you kind of take advantage of the train and the vegetation so that they don't come behind you. Like they just, like it's just not the logical place to walk or to come from. But every once in a while, um, yeah, they do. The The one that I ended up getting this year, I had birds coming from both sides. And the one I got was actually... Come straight behind me, and I kind of had to, you know, do the spin spinneroo thing too. So,
2: yeah, we had called that bird. Oh man, he was. We figure he was like 600 yards out. And there's that magic. I don't know what like ten minutes where there's nothing. Like you know, they go silent on you, and I was like, man, that bird is gonna pop up, and he's gonna come right. He's gonna be right on us, and sure enough, he's behind us. And you're just like, oh man, we got all set up, and now he's behind us, and we can't, we can't shoot. And he's close. He's in range. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's all part of it. Oh.
1: I don't know if there's maybe with an elk, I don't know. There's there just to me, there doesn't seem to be like too many animals that can pin you down. Like then a Turkey, like, cause one, if, if it is like, you're pretty close. Like it's, if it's got you pinned down, you're, you're probably almost like within shooting range. Yeah, and It's just, they're the weirdest things. Yeah. Just the red, white, and blue head and eye. And it's just like, you know, it's just, it's just focused on you like lasers shooting out of its eyes, right? And you're just like,
2: they're pretty dialed in, man. Yeah. And then it's like, like my friend was saying, he goes, Oh, man, thank thank goodness they can't smell. I mean, If they could smell us, we wouldn't get them.
1: I mean. Oh yeah, absolutely. Between um, like their vision and they're just so um, freaked out by everything. They're so super cautious and nervous. And I mean, when I first started doing this like decades ago, I remember reading a book and on turkey hunting and the author said, it's not that they're smart. It's just that they're scared of everything. And And that's just their, their behavior. And Uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but I've watched them at a distance, like kind of first thing in the morning, feeding along in a field. And all of a sudden they're all like, they're standing up, they're all nervous, they're looking. And it's like way at the other end of the field, there's like a deer or something comes out. And it's like, they're all like, oh my God, like, and they get all nervous. And then they head off into the trees. And I'm like, I'm thinking, have you guys like never seen a deer before? (laughs) Like, it's like, it's not a threat to you, but they're just sort of like, whoa, alert, everybody thing uh we need to get out of here
0: oh man even think about like like whitetails they're extremely spooky and scared of everything but when you get a buck that's like fired up and in the rut it's like he still throws caution to the wind he's just like i'm like he's just can be totally oblivious and can do that kind of like i'm just like a dumb buck and rut sort of stupid stuff but even turkeys man like you get a turkey that's completely fired up coming in all puffed up He's still like, he'll stop and he's kind of like looking around and then puffs up again and like comes in. It's like, he's still just not 100% fully testosterone raged up, yeah. gone yeah. They're still
2: thinking like.
1: He's like, where's the hen? Where's the danger? Where's the hen? Yeah. <laughs> where's the
0: danger? <laughs> exactly.
2: And I, and I think that's the the misconception with turkey hunting in BC because it's relatively new for everybody, right? So with those fall seasons, guys are out, you know, they're looking for a deer. Hey, there's turkeys and they can use a, a rifle and they shoot a turkey and they don't, they never hunted them in spring. It's a different, it's a way different game in springtime. So I think that's a big thing with, with turkey hunting in BC is it's so new and, and people are definitely getting into it in the spring seasons and how smart they can, you know, like you say, those yeah. feathers, they're coming in, those feathers drop. It's like the gigs up. They know something's not quite right. They've seen, they caught you moving or. Or you know they, they're, yeah, they're they're prey. They're they're getting eaten all the time by everything.
1: Yeah, so they are wary, and they've got um, like their their eyes are on the side of their head, um, so that gives them like all, all those types of animals like a better um, range of view. But what they also do is when they're traveling or, or, or they're doing stuff, they're they're always rotating their head back and forth like that. And from what I've read, that basically gives them, um, just by kind of swinging their head around, uh, 360 degree vision. Yeah. So anything in around them, if they catch a movement or a little hint of something, they can literally see, see all around them. So you, you, you can be easily screwed. So, yeah. And, uh, I don't know if you found this, but if they're coming at you fairly straight or if they're even if they're coming from the side, if they're locked on your decoys, then they're different. Um, but if they ever see you from the side, it seems like they are instantly, they know you're this thing on the ground. But if they're looking at you um, like face on, especially because I always sit with my back against the, 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 the base of a big tree, um, you don't seem to stand out as much to them. Like you're, you're, you must be like more flat. Like they're not actually seeing you as a profile from the side.
2: Yeah. I always try to set up behind my decoys so that they're not really, you no, know, they got to, they're focused. Like the decoys are your saving grace most of the time. Yeah. And uh, like the other morning, I had I ca- I called a hen in, and she that lay down that lay lay down decoy that I have, man, she did not like that. She was full strut, and for like, you know, a brief second, I was like, is that a Jake? You know, she had her tail up, and she was like, clucking, and yeah, it was pretty amazing to, uh, and that was I paced it out. She was six yards from me. I was, you know, it's amazing she didn't see me. But they, if you don't move. Like you, I had it back against my a tree, and it's like, yeah, you're like you say. They don't see you if you don't have that profile. Yeah. So.
1: Crazy, crazy. These things like, are crazy. Like a T-Rex, man. Don't crazy. move.
0: They won't see you.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that bird that we had called up the other day, um, my my friend was saying, "He goes, yeah, those are the, you know, it's making velocir- Velociraptor sounds. He was so close, making all these, you know, and yeah, they're, they're dinosaur birds, kind of."
1: The the spitting and the drumming and the feather shaking and gobbling. And uh, I mean, another one of the sayings I've heard too is like with turkeys, if, uh, if you move, they'll see you. If you think about moving, they'll see you. If you, or or no, if you don't move, they'll see you. If you even think about moving, they'll see you. And it's like, if, if they don't get locked onto your decoys, um, they are looking around and eventually they're going to figure you out you're there yeah. and I always like to be set up. So basically the time the I can see the bird and it sees my decoys, it's in range. Yeah. that that to me is the ideal setup. Yeah. But well, hopefully no more misses.
2: Yeah. Yeah. When they come in there, I always tell people don't blink, whatever you do, don't blink, like do not move a muscle. So <laughs> each, but.
1: each I've, I've missed three. I've missed three, three turkeys. Um, the, there was the one this year, few years ago. Um, I actually, the pellet pattern hit, uh, some of the antelope brush. Okay. And it's just like, that's it. Like that just completely sends pellets in the opposite direction. And, First thing in the morning when they come out of the roost in really low light, it's actually kind of, kind of hard to see like the antelope brush, you know, like where there's actually the tops of the brush sticking up and where it's open and just, you know, kind of being excited or whatever. And then another time um, the one busted me and he spun and I missed him going through an opening. So anyways, each time it happened, I was like, okay, this isn't going to happen again. So huh. this year I'm like, I'm hope that's the last time it ever happens. Cause it's like, man, it's not a good feeling. I don't mind. You know, it's like, you can miss other animals and it's kind of like, but I don't know. Missing a Turkey is like, there's something more raw about that.
2: Yeah. Well, so yeah, sometimes you got to work so hard to find them and then you blow it. It's like, aye, aye, aye.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Um, Anyways, hey everybody, uh, welcome to the conversation. It's Mark Hall, your host.
0: And Curtis Hall, the co-host. This episode of the Hunter Conservationist podcast is sponsored by the Hideout Restaurant and Brew House in Cranbrook, British Columbia. Now I know the new COVID restrictions aren't allowing us to go out and dine in restaurants anymore, but however, the Hideout does still have its patio open for beer and food. I drove by there the other day and it looks really slick. They expanded their patio into the street to make a bit more room. It's got a nice canopy over your head so you can still enjoy a meal out. Uh, It's outside, but hey, outside's awesome. The weather's getting nicer every day. We've been cooped up all winter, so why not go grab some lunch at the hideout? It's home of the Fisher Peak Brewery. It has four Red Seal chefs in the kitchen who have an amazing menu with food from scratch and many local farm ingredients that they can get for lots of the meals knowing that your ingredients are fresh and local it makes it taste that much better there's that 100 kilometer trend i remember you were telling me about that dad where uh, you try to source your food within 100 kilometers of your home so the food at the hideout will keep you on that trend Uh, it's great to see how busy they still are despite all of the covid restrictions but it still can't be easy So if you have the means or you don't want to do the dishes, go show the folks down at the Hideout Restaurant and Brewhouse some support. Also, shout out to iHunter for being a supporter of this episode. They have apps for nine provinces and territories, BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, New Brunswick, and Nova Scotia. The apps offer, offer provincial, regional, and LEH regulations. You can record your speed, altitude, position, draw over the map to plan your hunt, save your favorite management units, and more. Those features combined with the public land subscription are the only way to go. Every hunter should be use, utilizing the public land feature. Folks down at iHunter are offering you a sweet deal, 20% off your first year of their public land subscription. Use the promo code THC Podcast when you subscribe to the public land subscription at Web web.ihunterapp.com 20% off your first year of the public land subscription web.ihunterapp.com use the code THC Podcast. thank you to the folks down at iHunter for offering that discount and supporting this episode
1: awesome it'll also show you when the turkey has crossed over the Canada US border <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> How you doing, Brad? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, uh, guys.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, hey, everybody. We're joined by uh, Brad Siemens. He is over in the um, area of BC where there's quite a few turkeys. We'll call it Turkey area. <laughs> <laughs> Boundary region. I don't, I don't want to get too specific. No, I don't want to give uh, out your... I don't want to give out your address. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) People people will be Googling. Hey man, that guy knows where all the turkeys are. (laughs) I wish. (laughs) (laughs) So the reason I got you on the show is it's like, we just got to get on and talk about turkeys. Midway through the season here in BC, um, we're always talking on social media. I think we met like about a year ago. Uh, I think it was just after we had um helen swancha the former provincial wildlife veterinarian for forest and natural resource operations and uh i was talking to her about turkey stuff and she's like she's just like you are so into the turkey thing she says you need to talk to this guy over (laughs) in the boundary area that i that i work with and do stuff brad and uh, because he's she said he's just like you and somehow we got connected that way and been talking turkeys and, and stuff ever since. And, uh, yeah, it's just time to check in mid, midway through the season. Um, people, people are going to see this and they'll still have two weeks, um, you know, or listen to this episode. They'll still have two weeks to get out. So, uh, hopefully maybe we can kind of inspire some people to get out and if you're um, able to travel um, to, you know, region eight, region four and give some turkey hunting a try, then um, yeah, we'll just kind of do a what's going on this season type thing. So as you heard, we've both missed um, turkeys this year and uh, I've har- I have har—I harvested one a uh, week ago um, from today's, today's, we're doing this on a Monday. So, um, or is it Tuesday? We could go yesterday. Uh, I got one. And so I'm pretty fortunate about that. It's the largest tom I've ever, ever got, uh, weight wise. It was, uh, just tipped out at 25 pounds, which yeah. I think has got to be on the, like the upper 98th percentile for Miriam's wild Turkey. Like that's, that's big, uh, nine inch beard if you're into that kind of stuff. So big, big mature bird, I was pretty happy, especially after the miss earlier, but I think it's important to talk about the misses because everybody always thinks it's sort of like, you know, people go out and they hunt a certain thing and they get things and people go out and they can't see any or whatever. Like if they think they're doing things wrong or they're not. And it's like, no, we screw up to probably screw up a lot, blow things. You called it a rookie move. It's like it happens. So that's why I thought we would talk about missing with yep. a shotgun with 300 pellets in it still missed. <laughs> yeah,
2: it definitely humbles you.
1: Oh man. Um. So other than that, how's, how's your turkey season going? Like walk, walk us through what's, what's been happening, what you're seeing. Uh,
2: you, well, we you had, seem to be we, on a lot of birds. We had that early season where the opener was so warm. We had such unbelievable weather. I mean, we sometimes you get snow in the, you know, first week of of turkey season yeah. there's been snow on the ground and this year i mean we were closing in on 20 degrees and you know roosted there was you know the birds were so loud in the evenings. you could find a roosted bird pretty easy easier than normal and i think that was that it. it was the weather i'm not up to speed for sure on on that aspect of it but yeah there was birds to be found and and uh yeah the few birds i think we've with my daughters and and a, and a friend or two, we've, we've had six birds come in and we've only killed one. And it's, yeah, you, it's, it's humbling when you don't get a shot. It's not always easy to get a shot Come in behind you. And, um, other than that, it, we, we had that, what was it? Four days ago, that cold front came in. I don't know what you guys got out your way, but it got cold. Yep. Kind of shut yeah, everything down. Rain. We got two days of rain. So just. I think yesterday was our first nice day. So yeah. yeah, this, this could be the week where they,
1: yeah. So I've, I've heard, um, and I don't really correlate too much of this stuff. I mean, either just like, I go out and hunt or whatever, but as far as weather goes, um, the hot part of the day, um, you know, when you get into those high teens and the twenties and stuff, late afternoons, They will kind of shut down gobbling activity anyways. The heat does affect them. Uh, Wind as well. When they lose the ability to hear, um, the toms will quiet down their gobbling. So I would assume maybe that when they're affected by wind, they, you know, they probably know their sounds not projecting very well. Um, but I also think they're more vulnerable because if there are predators around and stuff and it's windy and their hearing's affected, I would almost guess if I was one, I'd be want to pay attention more, um, to be looking after myself and to be calling for hens. If, if, you know, I felt my, my, my senses were dulled and barometric pressure. I guess so when a storm front is moving in um they're supposed to dampen down and then after the storm front passes and the barometric pressure rises then they're supposed to fire up again so mm. that's yes. what i've heard
2: yeah sound is definitely super important like you, you're hiking you know if you're if you're hiking looking for a bird and you're like, oh yeah, we're gonna cross that next ridge, and you get into a creek bottom, and those creeks are, you know, they're starting to run pretty hard. It's like, oh man, you got to get out because that sound just draws. You can't hear nothing, and if you can't hear them, they can't hear you. So, sound is huge factor in calling and spring, for spring birds.
1: Yeah, no, for sure, and that's why, at least, at least where I am, like that, real early in the morning, six, you know, o'clock, and kind of on a little bit. It's just like the air's quiet sound really seems to carry and, uh, it's a good time to locate your bird, you know, right, right at first, light or in the dark and few places where we go, it's like the, the sound from the highway, like you can be like a kilometer away, but then like when the morning traffic picks up, it's like, Oh my God, is this like, why is everybody driving on the highway? And it's like, it's hard to hear. It's hard to hear in the forest because of the highway traffic. So, so these, the birds that you've called in um, and he said, you got, you got one, a friend came over and got one. So what, what was the deal on the other ones? Just so Mike couldn't get it in range. Were they ones you didn't want to take or?
2: So I had a really weird thing happen. First time ever with my daughter, we had called in, we had lots of gobbling and you know, you're with your, with your child, you're with your kid. It's like, Oh, this is going to be great. And then sure enough, uh, half an hour, these birds, three toms come in and they're about 60 yards and we have a really, we're really good set up decoys are out. And it was the weirdest thing at, at first. I thought they may maybe were Jake's and no, the one had the one that I got a really good look at. He had you a know, nice beard hanging and they just went into feeding mode. They didn't even, as soon as they were mm-hmm. coming in, I've never seen that before. And they just, they just started like scratching and pecking. No, no strutting at all. And we just kind of watched them feed away. And that was it. Super weird. And then another bird we called in, I called him out of the root wall. He came out of the roost and we called him in. And that was the one that my friend um, had squeezed, squeezed the trigger on. And yeah, he should have waited in a couple more seconds. He was a little bit, a little bit far, but we never got him. He Flew straight up, so that was the second miss that I seen this year, and it wasn't me, so it didn't feel as bad. So,
1: <laughs> you, you had, you had all this advice, and and uh, you know, I should have been more patient. You, you know, you got yeah. your eye down on the I, barrel, and you got to breathe and yeah. squeeze the trigger. No, oh, I him. knew
2: I, he felt so bad, and I was just like, dude, man, I, I've been there, I was there like a couple days ago, and so I was calling for him, and I looked over, and he had the gun up, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be great, you know, another. 10 seconds, and it's going to be like a 10 yard shot, but he sent one a little bit early and, uh, he was pretty frustrated with himself, but it happens.
1: It's hunting, right? Oh man. Yep. Yep. Totally. So, huh? Wow. I mean, it's cool just to gobble a call. And if they respond to your calls, it's just the, it's just magical. It's like just an amazing Thing it always makes my year if it's just like if I can call and a gobble respond uh, Tom responds to it by gobbling it's just like yeah okay I've made that connection I made him do that that's just a a satis satisfying thing. Now the feeding thing, uh, yeah that this is that's a good one that you brought you brought that up so I've I've experienced this a couple of times. They're the toms are in the roost tree. You're in the dark. You know, my strategy is you just kind of like let them know that you're a hen and you're there. And they've got you pinpointed. And then you might be there for half an hour, 40 minutes before he's comfortable to fly down out of the tree. Um we've had ones before, I think one that Curtis got, it was like uh like when it came out of the tree and it was just like it straight lined it and it was just like. I'm here.
0: (laughs) Fast as it Um, could move, it was coming in. And I think
1: the, one of the ones I talked about where I had missed it where it hit the antelope brush. Same thing came out of the roost tree and it was, you know, just, just like, you know, good shooting light. And, you know, it's like there's bushes and trees and it's still a bit of shadows and all of a sudden there's, just there's a turkey standing there and it's like holy smokes right like it's just everything happened so fast and then i've had ones where it's like they come out of the roost tree they're gobbling and then like you said like short while later it's like why is he not making any sound like it's like he's just up and gone 20 minutes later all of a sudden he gobbles and he's and he's still there and that one i got the bird and he he was eating the whole time. It's like, yeah, uh, it's breeding <clears> season. And yeah, I know you're a hen there, but it's like, I've been in the roost tree all night and I'm kind of hungry and they, f- they take their time and they mosey towards you and they're feeding. And I just think that's really bizarre
2: that. Yeah. This- I had never seen it before. I was just like, what I did. You know, they just were not interested. They weren't gobbling. They weren't strutting. They just went into scratch mode and watched them feed away. After coming a couple hundred yards to, to the calling, right? So it was uh,
1: yeah, that's really odd. Just, even the one I got this year, he was like, I was set up and he was just going berserk. There were three of them. And when he went out of the roost tree, he was just like, just went sailing through the forest right past me and about 200 yards out into an opening and was gobbling and strutting out there, which is one of the things I'm learning is that. These big mature toms actually want to come out of the roost tree and go straight to an opening, not straight to you, straight to an opening, and and strut. But the same thing when I got him, he'd been pecking food all the way, working back over towards me, and he was he was kind of obviously like, yeah, I know there's a hen there, and it's like I'll I'll get to you, but it's like I'm kind of hungry, <laughs> so hmm. that's uh, that. That's all I can think is that, <clears throat> and maybe those ones you experienced were just more hungry than they were amorous (laughs) yeah or (laughs) any
2: yeah yeah it was weird they're
1: uh, they're 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 funny to figure to figure out that way there's absolutely no doubt about it have you ever had one like just not gobble and all of a sudden there's a
2: tom yeah we had one last year um came same idea came in behind us and it was that that magic time where they where they shut down and you know, they're coming. And then, Oh man, I can't remember exactly. It was a long, it was a long haul, but it's like, okay. And then all of a sudden, boom, right behind you goblin. And I think the best thing is about turkey hunting is when someone that has never hunted them, it happens to them when they, like when the bird comes in so close and it just appears, it's pretty, it's pretty magical. Yeah. Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah, you just got this all sudden like its heads there <clears throat> and those beady eyes. Well, yeah, the the <laughs> color
2: the you know, you're in this you know, the forest is just greening up this time of the year and all of a sudden there's this like fluorescent blue. The the red, the red that you can't even describe is like the most fire red. You know, it's out of well, place. Whole, it's so out of place, right? You know, the whole man. head
1: looks fake. Yeah. You know, it's like I was just watching uh one of the new BBC films with Sir David Attenborough, and it's about color okay. and wildlife. And there was one of those ones where the big male baboons have got like that red and white and, and blue on them. And it's just, it was that exact fake colors, like on a turkey's head. And that's all I can say is like, they just, they're fake looking when they're out there. So
0: yeah. Oh man, and but, to see them change color too, like when you have them coming in, it's like they're coming in and it's like blue and then it's like kind of white if you're making the hen calls and then if they see your Jake decoy, it just like turns red. It's like, it's like a freaking chameleon, man. Like you can just yeah. watch that thing. It's wild just to, it's so cool.
1: When Chris, when you were little-ish, um, I don't know, 12, 14 or something like that. We had three where we were out on the weekend, we had those three big toms go past us. We were decoys set up and hen calling. And for whatever reason, I just happened to be looking through the forest, and there was a little bit of a corridor. And all of a sudden, there was these three big long beards just cut across the little, the little corridor. They never gobbled coming in. So, you know, they were maybe 60 yards when I saw them and just completely silent. And it wasn't until they walked around, um, more out in front of us. Um, they started, one started gobbling, but the big long beard that was in the front was like, Nope, we're not going to that hen. It's like, I I'm going this direction and I know where I'm headed. And he wasn't changing his mind and the, the two smaller ones that were with him just stayed in tow, but I don't know how far they came from, but never mm. made a sound, just literally just appeared. So
2: So what kind of calls do you guys like and use it in your neck of the woods there?
1: Um got everything.
2: <laughs> what, what's your what's take. your go what's your go-to?
1: Um It depends. Okay. <laughs> so if the bird's a ways away, um, I use a box call. It has because I use a long box, so it's quite big and it's got good resonance, um, so the sound gets out a bit farther. If I'm in tight in the morning when they're in the roost tree in the dark, um, I will use a slate call and a scratcher. It, it just it it's. For me, makes the subtlest, quietest little tree coos and and that sort of thing. And then when I think it's going to like it's happening, um, I switch to the mouth read if I need to do any little sounds to help them, you know, guide them or whatever. So,
2: yeah. 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 If you're, if you're the shooter, the mouth call, definitely your hands free then.
1: Yeah. And then when we were out on the weekend like I was just I was using the box call and the slate call. I had the mouth read in just in case, but I was sitting I sat back like 20 25 yards behind him, behind Curtis, so um so I had a little bit more flexibility to kind of use my hands cuz I wasn't as close to where it was going to going to happen. So
2: what about you? Yeah, I I don't I used to always use a box call, but I just found that I couldn't control it because it's like you say it's so loud it works really good I, I use it in the evenings to find a roosted bird but my go-to is definitely a slate like a pot call with the scratcher it's you can just when they're in close you can just subtly little purrs and you can just fire them right up and it, it um super easy to control yeah so like i find the box call it's if you you know you move wrong and you can hit it the wrong way and it's like or you get a big screech it's oh you know oh man (laughs) you know and it's you know sometimes you get away with it sometimes you don't yeah and um yeah mouth read for sure I, i always have one in my pocket sometimes you forget to put it in and it's like okay well but this year i've been helping a lot a lot of friends so i've been just onto my slate call okay a friend of mine made it for me down in georgia he's a big turkey hunter and it's a little homemade he makes calls and it's a great piece of great piece of artwork actually.
1: Oh awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah like my slate call, I I carry three different scratchers as well. because um, each one makes a different sound. And that's one of the things I like is that I've got like several mouth reads, the different scratchers for the slate call um, and the box call. Because just like a human voice, each one of those is a different bird. Yeah. Like so, if I ever want to um, emulate that, there's two or three birds there. I've literally done like I've switched between calls, call with one, pick up the other one, call with that one, go back then with a with a mouth read. So switching between a box call and a and a pot call, slate call, and the mouth read, it's like I can make three make it sound like three different three different turkeys so
2: yeah I think a lot of people like a lot of uh, newcomers always remember bringing a piece of chalk with you for your for your box call and with your scratch call with your pot call take a piece of scotch bright because you know rough that scotch bright up on that slate keep that really get that nice fine powder on there and then you can get you can that I mean a lot of guys don't know that right and they're like oh that's how you Mm -hmm. do it so that's one thing to keep in mind is to always carry those little things so you can rough up rough up your slate or you can chalk up your box call. Cuz I mean they're pretty ineffective when they're not working and that yep, that'll exactly. save that'll save your bacon every time.
1: Yeah, exactly and especially cuz like what we had on Saturday and Sunday is the slate call was getting wet. Yeah. And then I was just like, okay, it's just not going to work. I'm trying to dry it off and I'm, I'm switching calls or whatever. But even like the box call with the wood, like you get a little bit of water on that yeah. and it affects that chalk that you want to be able to, the sun comes out, touch that yeah. up and, and carry on.
2: Yeah.
1: I've had, uh, I screwed up on a Tom Turkey one time and he then knew me by my call hmm. from a distance. He didn't, he just, He knew and we kept in touch with each other over the hunting season, but he knew who I was and I was a poser and he would turn me inside and out time and time again. And that's when I learned to carry multiple calls and, Hmm. and, uh, just that that's another one of the reasons I have it is, is, is because that, and I mean, I literally had, you know, had the screw up. Um, and then a couple of days later I was sitting on a ridge and here he comes, you could hear him coming up the trail, up the spine of the ridge, gobbling away as he was coming. And I think he had, um, two younger, um, Jakes in tow with him. And so I called and he gobbled back and he actually walked off the trail, dropped off the ridge down into the forest, swung around me and then Cut back up onto the ridge, got on the elk trail and kept right on going away. Mm. Like it was like, just totally knew, knew that voice. He knew that thing was not an actual hand. He was gobbling to it, but. Yeah. So yeah. Lots of calls have lots of, take lots of calls with you. So.
0: And the shakers.
1: So, yep. The gobbler, the gobbler shaker. shaker Yeah. Uh, so, so walk through, thro- walk walk us through kind of like your strategies.
2: Well, uh, one thing I learned, yeah, one thing I've really learned this year is that a roosted bird in the evening is not a sure thing in the morning because it's like, oh man, this is going to be good. And then, you know, something always seems to go sideways. So I call him a blind bird is when you're just hiking and calling and waiting for that gobble, waiting to have a player. So it's this year I've definitely tried I put a lot more effort into the evenings like just at dark when those toms fly up they they hammer away and then you can kind of you know the lay of the land okay you got to hike up here in the dark you know set up 200 yards from the tree and it worked it it definitely on that one tom it worked but but my friend he shot a little bit too soon I mean mm-hmm. who's to say it's just one of those things right I mean patterns aren't everything's not textbook you think it is but Shoulda, woulda, coulda, seems to always happen in the turkey world. So, yeah, evening birds are pretty nice to find. It's a nice feeling going to bed thinking, yeah, going to get up at four and going to be on that bird. This opener I had, oh, man, there was like, I'm pretty sure there was four different toms, you know, within all roosted up, and it was just magic sitting out there. And, yeah, nothing happened. Then I had to, you know, hike up and over, and then they had gone way down into the U.S. side. It's like, oh, man. Yep, this is gonna be cross-border shopping. So yeah, they called the <laughs> one back. So and then <laughs> and uh yeah, didn't work out, but hey, it uh it's why we go out. It's to be outside and and uh just experience it. It's a, it's quite an experience and every newcomer that I've taken, like my friends that are getting into it, they're just like, Oh man, I can't not believe how awesome that was. Like regardless if you kill a bird, but you hear them gobbling and yeah, when you're doing 80 down the highway, you don't hear that, you know, people don't understand how cool of a bird they really are
1: oh it's it's insane like it's like you hear that gobbling and you can tell when it's getting closer and it's like it conjures up all these these fears in your subconscious of those big huge prehistoric yeah. birds with the you know that could like towered over a man and could you know they hunted small animals and you know like that's what you think is coming <laughs> yeah. through the forest yeah, like, after you that that sound it's like it's like you are kind of glad you have a gun cuz you're thinking yeah. it might be self defense almost yeah but,
2: yeah it's so <clears> uh, oh man yeah, they
1: they
0: get close to and it's like that that bird that we had on uh last weekend on on Saturday he was i don't know 80 100 yards but even then when he was gobbling you can like just feel that gobble Almost like a bugle, like you just get that, it's that kind of guttural, you can, it's like, you can feel it through the ground come up and you're like, oh man, like this guy's, he's close when you can get that like. Brrr. Yeah. Oh, Well,
1: I know, I know what you mean, you know, about the roosted bird the night before it's like, yeah, they'll be there in the morning, but it doesn't mean it's going to like, then all of a sudden be in range. And last week, the one that I got, there were three and they were kind of spaced out and i got I, I pulled in tight this time probably 60 to 75 yards from the first the first one and um as in the dark kind of as things went these things were just going nuts like one would gobble and the other one would gobble and that one gobbling would make the other one gobble and it was like they it was almost like they were having like uncontrollable huh. gobbling convulsions. And it was just like, I love that. Like I, I, cause I didn't hear any hens in the trees and more than one Tom and they know they've got a hen beside them for some reason they didn't know it was there all night and they just get so fired up. I'm like, to me, that's the perfect situation this is like, they come out of the tree and it's like, it's a race to get to the hen. Right. And that's, yeah. And in my case, the big bird came out of the roost first, like I said, and kind of went past me like a bomber through and landed up 200 yards out, uh, in an opening. The other two popped right down to the ground and started gobbling and coming towards me, but then they got on the hill and they looked down and they saw my hen and my Jake decoy. And they went, Oh, there's the hen!" but the big Tom who's part of our group that we know flew in that direction is already with her. I could see what was going through their mind and they literally stood on the hill, stretched out. They're looking down, they're looking at both my decoys and they went, no, we're not going down there. We're not going to go close to him when he's got a hen." And literally they turned and started walking up the hill and I'm like going, I'm in this perfect situation and the whole thing's just going to like fall through my fingers the one took off like an airplane the other two were turning around and walking away and luckily what happened is is both sets of birds that were on either side of me were actually still gobbling and so the big tom that was way far away heard the two smaller ones gobbling and they thought they were in on the action so he started gobbling and coming towards me then as he's coming close the other two were like oh what's he got down there something's going on so they actually started coming back and it was kind of like okay who's going to get to me first kind of thing but yeah now what about a roosted tom with hens that is like
2: game over that's what yeah that's, well, the that's, worst a, thing. that's what happened with that bird that we that my friend shot a little too early on it had a hen with it. And I was like, man, there is no way we are going to get that Tom to come in. And this is the first year that I haven't put a Jake decoy out. I've just, I've got a lay down hen. Um, and I've got a feeder hen, Avian X decoys. They're super great decoys. And I, I thought this would be don't got a snowball's chance that that Tom's going to leave that hen. And she kind of luckily kind of fed towards us a bit. And when he seen that lay down, like when he seen that, that lay down hen, yeah, it was like, he's coming. I was like, holy cow, I can't, this is going to happen. And it sort wow. of happened. It half happened. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know. And I don't know about not using a Jake. I always kind of think, man, maybe, you know, maybe that'll push him off a little bit. Like I possibly they don't want to fight. I mean, I mean, this early in the season. So I just, yeah, I haven't ran my Jake at all. I just ran those two hens in my pack and my pack's pretty full with those. They're a little bit bigger of a decoy, but it's been working. It's definitely been working. Yeah. I mean, that's. And that lay down. That's hen, the name of the game in the that lay down. Time. Yeah. That lay down hen decoy. Like, I don't know if you've seen them, but the wings are kind of out and spread. So they, Yep. it, uh, it's kind of something different. They, I don't know if it, cause they haven't seen it before, but it's, it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it. Cool. How they, uh, how they come in on it. So, and that hen, I mean, I had that hen come in this year. I was like, I've never had a strutted head come in before and she wasn't happy with it at all. So oh. I don't know. Um,
1: yeah. See, we just i've always struggled when the toms roosted with hens it's um um the hens don't like another hen being you know beside them um and so i've got a lot of like really nasty things said to me Hmm. you know early in the morning by these other hens and you know one of the strategies and it's never worked for me was to always they said is to call to that to the hand like to the dominant hand like because it there's an aggression thing going on and she might then come to like kick your ass this other hen you know that's there but my experience has always been she'll get mad she'll she'll yelp and stuff at you but the minute she's on the ground it's putting distance between her and this other hen that she knows she knows over there and the tom just he's got live birds in front of him and he just follows along like yeah. he's got a got that- a rope tied around his neck right like yeah, he's not and the only luck I've ever had is patterning that group over the course of the morning keeping tabs on them with a crow call and then one late morning, 11-ish or something like that. They've done a bit of breeding. The hens will strike, take off uh, for their nests individually. Um, Then I had um, the tom then come back looking for me because he he knew there was another lone hen around, but out of the roost, it's like.
2: Yeah. You When they got a hen, usually, yeah. When they, if they've got a hen, it's usually this, it's usually not, not going to happen. Well, but, it's such,
0: yeah. It's such an emotional roller coaster in the morning. You're like, you're walking in, and you're like, you do that first call, whether it's like a shock gobbler or hen call, and you're like, oh, is he gonna be there? And then you hear the like, yeah. oh, yeah, he's there. And then you set up, and he like gobbles, and he gobbles, and he gobbles some more, and you're like, oh, he's fired up.
2: And then you hear the other hens, and you're like,
0: Oh shit. Oh yeah.
2: <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah, you, you were talking about setup, Mark, and it's like, so you you know you you know where the you know you're within a hundred yards of the tree and it's like, Oh man, should I set up here? And then you set up and then you're totally second guessing yourself. So I don't know there. I don't know how you can know which way the bird's going to fly out of the tree. I mean, you can do your best to, to hen cluck and just, you know, they right now, the last couple of birds that have flown out, it's been around, you know, five 30 quarter to six that they're flying down. So you don't, you got to get up stinking early to get out there and you're yep. hiking in, in the dark. And it's, it's always a crapshoot yep. trying to figure out, okay. Is he gonna just hop straight down? And it's terrain too. If you if you're on a steep hillside, you know they open their wings up and they glide down and they've just covered 400 yards in like 10 seconds. You know, just going to the oh, ground.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So they'll go it, one it, it of is,
2: 360 uh,
0: ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: It, it is. uh It's it's definitely a crapshoot. And so twice, twice this year. Um, actually three times because uh, it happened. Um, with Curtis Sunday, no Saturday, on um, this past Saturday, is I'm starting to maybe put the pieces together that if it is a big dominant Tom that's roosted, he comes out of that roost tree and wants to get to the nearest clearing. Mm. Because as as you know, the whole thing in the turkey world is is the 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 courtship displays of the tom the gobbling in the tree in the dark is is to let hens in the vicinity know he's there so when they fly down they start heading his direction then when he's strutting on the ground he wants to be in an open area so he's visible Because when he's puffed out and he's doing all of that, then it's a visual courtship display that a hen can see from a long ways away, and she's like ooh, and then starts coming towards that. So the we're actually doing the reverse of what they want. They want the hens to come to them, and we want the tom to come to the hen. So there's a bit of we're working a little bit paddling upstream there. Yeah. But what I've been seeing three times this year with a big bigger dominant bird. is they don't just pop out of the roost to the ground and start working towards the hen they just bolt right to the nearest opening and then they out there and they gobble and strut and they're sort of like come on ladies come out here to me and three times i've been
2: like uh, hmm, hmm. <laughs> it's like yeah. i yeah, should have this, set
1: up in that opening over yeah, there
2: this season there's been uh, some excessive f bombs on my end here <laughs> over you probably you guys probably could hear a few of them maybe but
1: yeah just yeah. Uh, the, there was the echo from when we both missed opening morning
2: yeah yeah, one really cool thing that I seen this year on social media is guys are saving like you know, you guys save their beards, they save their legs, wings or whatever tail. But I seen like I, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but guys are folks are saving their gizzard stones and they're polishing them up and putting them in little vials from all their different birds that they've killed and I was like, "Oh, that's a pretty cool idea." And like I think I the, seen that Yeah, it's really cool. Like little like a little vial with a little cork top and the stones are all cleaned and washed. And I was looking at them all. I'm like, man, that is a super cool idea. Like the different rocks from the different birds. And it's all like, this bird was like, you know, it was in a, a U.S. post, um, uh, on Instagram and it was like, you know, Florida bird, Georgia bird, you know, Montana bird. And it's all different rocks. It's like, man, that's a really cool way to to look at your bird and what, you know, the rocks that it used totally, in its gizzard. Yeah. Right. So something oh, to, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was really cool. I wanted to mention that to I, you guys.
1: No, that's uh, actually that's the first I've I've heard of it. I didn't I didn't know people were doing that. I am fascinated by um, the rocks. Uh, one of the things I did examining them in the gizzards of Grouse is they're actually very particular of what they pick up, and it's a certain type of rock, and they're almost all identical in the type of rock and the size and the shape of it. Hmm. Like really? they're just not randomly grabbing stones. They're like that one, that one, that one. And it's almost like if you laid them all out and like measured them, they would all be within like microns of, of each other being like, like per- perfect um, replicas of each other. That That's, that's been my observation. Yeah. But with turkeys and I'll do this with, well, Canada geese are usually like full of more like sand. But I recently just learned a technique to get the meat off of the gizzard where I don't open it up anymore so it's like I just don't want to deal with the gravel anymore so I used to split them and open them up and wash it all out and peel the peel the the lining off and then um, uh, Hank Shaw um, hunter gatherer gardener cook you know from down in the states yeah he had an article I came across last year where he was showing a method where you just use your knife and in a circular motion, you just carve off the two muscle lobes and you leave the gizzard part intact with all the gravel and food particles inside. And it doesn't make a mess when you're yeah. cleaning the bird. So, hmm. yeah, I just learned that. So now I don't want to go open up the gizzard and get all the gravel out. So
2: the gravel is yeah, yeah, method. Yeah. Yeah. We, did, we, uh, I've seen uh, lots of guys cut them up and I've seen them like, I was taught by my granny. I mean, here we go back to when I was a kid, you know, we'd butcher farm chickens and it's like the gizzards were like the neck, you know, the, the prize thing of the bird. So we always split the lobe and tried not to score that inner liner. And then if the, if the, I don't know how, sometimes they just come out super clean. There's no, you can, you can slice them without cutting open that, the gravel pocket. And the next time it's just pure chaos and you're like rinsing and, But it is definitely overlooked. People uh, overlook how good the gizzard are on on a turkey. There, there's a big chunk of meat there.
1: Yeah, and a big and a really big heart too. It's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You can get save save the turkey heart and the Canada goose hearts and and um, do like the heart kebabs or something like that because they're so butter butter tender. Yeah. Oh man, I just uh, I just love love turkey meat for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Now. Yeah, they are uh, definitely
2: definitely good eating.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, So why, why is turkey hunting so addictive? Like what, what is, what is it for you? What's the. Well,
2: I, I, I think the biggest thing is, is the calling. Like this year, I mean, I haven't killed a bird yet. Opening day, but helping my friends out and calling and just interacting and the birds, I mean, you sit out for waterfowl. I mean, there's magic sitting out. You know, you got a flock of geese coming. You know, it's like, oh, man, this is going to be good. But that morning light, that first light when, you know, the sun is just breaking and, you know, you hear that gobble. It's unless you've, you can't even describe it. It's hard to describe because you're just like, you're, you're not a spectator. You are a participant and you're in it. Like you're in the game. And it's like, can we get this bird to come to us? You know, does he have hens? It's, you know, what are the... One well, the chances if it's working out, and then all of a sudden it's starting to work out. It's like you know, holy cow, this is going to work out. And then, and then it doesn't, and then you drop f bombs and start over and <laughs> try again tomorrow, or
1: put put it put it uh, put it into the uh, lessons learned yeah category. It it's super um, it's super tactical. There's a lot of strategy, and it's very tactical. Um, it is like elk hunting, um, you know in the you know, in the rot early September when I do the archery season, similar type thing. Um, you know, very, very similar, but um, not as big a deal as if you get one five kilometers from your truck, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, that's a little less stressful, um, for sure, you know, with, with the turkeys, but
2: yeah, I think well, I know more and more people are keying into turkey hunting, it you know, um. I don't know what you guys see. So well, this year with COVID and last year too, but more and more traffic people have been in, you know, in the cities, they've been locked up all winter and it's like, Hey, the sunshine, you know, we don't want to really go hunting bears, but Hey, turkeys are 20 pounds. I mean, that 25 pound bird you got, wow, that's awesome. So I think that's a big, and you know, with turkeys expanding their range and they're, you know, they're doing good. They're, they're, they're making it. They're all our other wildlife seems to be tanking and turkeys are like surviving. and, I think people are really keen in there's a, you know, there's quite a bit of traffic, you know, you go on social media and there is guys from Manitoba posting, you know, four guys, you know, four guys holding four toms and they can't believe their luck that they can come to BC for, well, I do not even know about 120 bucks. They can, you know, go with their buddies and hunt turkeys yeah. and, you know, lots of Albertans come and from Alberta, they have to, well, you probably know, Mark, I, they got like a 10 year wait to hunt turkeys in Alberta for their draw system. So
1: yeah. It's pretty tough there.
2: Yep. So, and we, you know, we used to have that too. The early nineties, it was LEH for turkey in Creston. I think that's, I got to draw uh, 93. I think it was for yeah, Gold River. Creston
1: and Nelson area and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was, yeah. that was limited entry. Yeah. yeah. No, it was, um, yeah. I mean, it's, I encourage people, you know, and it's part, part of why we decided to do this podcast kind of mid Turkey season is to kind of like, get the conversation going and get the stoke and you know maybe there's somebody out there it's like man I was thinking and wasn't sure and it's like well you still got 2 weeks left yeah and i i just You know, for me, I love turkey hunting, you know, so much like you, uh, I love it. Um, it's exciting to see people, uh, get into it and, and feel that same excitement and, and, and learn to hunt, I guess, like the same ways, like learn the calls, learn what you're doing, learn the decoys. You got to understand their ecology, their behavior, their biology to make all of this come together. And it's a really exciting Learning, you know, eth- ethical way to hunt, and they're here and they they're available to everybody and great table fare, and so yeah, I'm I'm, you know, excited that people uh, are in interested in it, and we put the course out, you know, this year and stuff to try to help help people out if they're they're learning how to how to do it as well and to be more successful and, um, yeah, it's it's great, and but it's tough. Like, it it is tough hunting the Miriam's turkey. I've never hunted the other species uh, anywhere else in North America. But just what I glean from watching stuff, I'm like, you see these big eastern wild turkeys in these farm fields and the wide open and like, you know, the wide open. And they're strolling around out there and people are sitting on the edge of the farm fields, and, and I'm just like,
2: I've never seen
1: a Miriam do
2: that. Yeah, man, we, we, don't just have, like, we don't have that luxury, man. They, no, don't, like, they, don't, they don't really do that out here.
1: They might be in the opening, like first thing in the morning at fly down, do a little bit of feeding. And then it's like, we want to go into the forest. You know like they just they go into the forest and 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 hide or you know, you know or do whatever there I just I don't know it would be interesting to hunt some of the other species, but i th- I almost feel like the Marians has gotta be one of the most cagey difficult spooky hardest of maybe all the all the subspecies to hunt I don't know i'm I'm just guessing'cause but that's all I've ever hunted so but um if if you are hunting them, um, it it is hard. Like it's it's looking for a needle, you know, in the haystack. You know this this time of the year, they're fragmented across the landscape, and I tell people the best way to do it is just to cover ground and chalk call.
2: Yep. Crow yeah, crow calls. As, as the snow is receding, definitely the turkeys are moving out. Right, oh, snow gets farther and farther away, and the turkeys just keep. Expanding their range and keep going farther and farther back.
1: Yeah. And so just get out. And if you can find spring, you know, that's what I found. I'm not sure in your parts of the wood, but it's like if the snow's just left and the ground's wet and the pressed down vegetation from last year, it's just like it's kind of that damp spring's not quite there yet. Turkeys don't like it. Yeah. they seem to like where's the dry hillsides where the sun's on it where some new greenery's coming up where the there's going to be a bit of insect activity spiders wood ticks those sorts of things in in the afternoon um, some maybe some flowers popping up some little green dandelion shoots or something and it's like that's that's where they like to be um, that's that's what I found anyways almost like a yeah. bear it's like yeah. find the food and then find the turkeys and And, um, cover ground and shock gobble until, until you find, can hear one. That's half the battle.
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Sun is a key. If you can find a sunny spot, the sun shining seems to get them talking.
1: Yeah. I mean, they, I, I almost think like in our, our part of the world, like, I mean, you know, like we were saying like last week, it's like 20 degrees in the afternoon, but, um, You know in the morning it was like minus four or five yeah and i almost think it's like they come out of the roost tree and it's like they want to go somewhere so the sun can hit them so they can warm up (laughs) yeah (laughs) i know i know that's what i like so um so kind of a few other things about about turkey hunting what your thoughts are um so you were talking about kind of how they're perceived here in BC we expand a little bit about, about that. Like, well, I think,
2: the I think in the winter time, like I know my friend in the CO service, like, you know, the COs in Castlegar and Nelson, there's a lot of problem with urban turkeys, right? They're hitting the, you know, people mm-hmm. are feeding, people are feeding chickadees in their backyards and the turkeys aren't stupid. They're going to, you know, so they're going to sit on a car. They're going to cause chaos in town. So I think that gives them a bad, you know, people drive through, let's say Castlegar and they, you know, the suburbs of Castlegar, there's 80 turkeys in winter and two feet of snow in a guy's backyard because of a chickadee feeder. And it's like, oh man, there's so many turkeys there. Well, you know, they're kind of, yeah, there are, but they're also in their winter range, hanging out in a guy's backyard. Yeah. And for like, for us on my farm, I mean, like you, you mentioned that, you know, you, they eat wood ticks and yeah, they, I mean, we, turkeys don't do any damage on our place we've we've been here 15 years and and the turkeys they're here they're in the horse pasture with the horses rooting around in the hay where we feed and we always know if there's a coyote i mean those 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 birds light right up when, when there's a predator around in the winter which makes it good for the we have sheep as well so public perception of turkeys uh, i mean i don't know any every everybody that comes I mean they go looking for turkeys and they love the turkeys, except for if you're in town. It seems to be the general consensus, right?
1: Yeah. It it's interesting because I I saw the same pattern with the urban deer. Yeah. You know, like in Cranbrook, uh, I remember it's like, oh, there's some deer in town and people would put feeders out and it's all cool. There's wildlife in town. And then all of a sudden it was like, whoa too much wildlife and they're eating this and they're eating that and you know and all this kind of stuff and then it was like um then it was the big thing to like hate the urban deer yeah everybody hates them right and and i saw the same thing with turkeys right like it's like they're they're interesting and cool like for the urban people um town people to a point yeah and then they hate them yeah like it's not like they're a nuisance it's like people hate them and they don't speak nice of them and they kind of I know the wildlife managers in the Kooteny region just are constantly being bombarded by people bitching about the turkeys like yeah. literally like on standing on their cars or sports cars and stuff like this. And you know they want the COs to come and like like shoot them and you know and, yeah. you know and all, all all this kind of stuff and and you end up with this bad, I think you said it even before we started recording, like this bad rap.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And they're only, and, I mean, they're only standing on the guy's car because the neighbor next door is feeding chickadees or, you know, there's a feeder out because they're not, they are not going to hang out where there's no food. That's, it's, yeah, it's, no, it's.
1: Exactly. Or, you know, they get a little bit of, you know, protection, yeah. you know, around, yeah. around homes and stuff. And, you know, barking dogs keep the other predators away and stuff. There's, there's got to be a little bit of you know, like um, safety in li- living around people, people as well. But um, yeah, they definitely, they definitely get a bad rap. And what I've seen, anyways, is that pressure gets put onto wildlife managers. And you know, then what I've seen, anyways, is like this movement in British Columbia towards, like, we want to use hunting to like get rid of the turkeys. Yeah. And also like here in region four, like they went to, to any sex bird in the fall season because hmm. they wanted to up up the harvest. There was talks about shifting the April season back to the first of April. So like you could hunt them longer and kill more yeah. in the spring kind of thing. And, and um, I've even heard talks about calls like they talk about the deer calls about having to call flocks of you know wild turkeys and it's just it's all based on public pressure like yeah get these turkeys out of my yard and
2: yeah and then in, in the and then the, on the opposite side of the line you you know you go to the national wild turkey federation and i mean they have all these programs they release programs or capturing wild birds and you know promoting i mean turkey hunting is so big in the united states and then here we are, you know, in BC and we're kind of like, we don't even know what we got. It's so awesome that the birds are doing good, but you know, translocation is like, that's like a swear word. You don't even talk about yeah. that. And it's like, ah, yeah. oh, stupid Turkey, you know, cause you know, cause the government managers, yeah, they are getting pounded with, you know, urban Turkey calls, problem turkeys. And, and uh, I mean, how do we give the bird more value than it, it deserves a lot more value than we're giving it right now. We're, you know, there's no tag for it. You just can go out and wantonly shoot a turkey compared, you know, out of province. Just show up, come turkey hunting.
1: Yeah. And and I think that's, you know, been part of what, you know, I've tried to do is to encourage people to get into turkey hunting, learn about, you know, the turkey itself. Uh, I've, I think on previous podcasts, like I've gone through the scientific literature with people and sort of dispelled all these bad things you hear about, you know, turkeys displacing rough, grouse, um, competing native species, um, potentially eating rare and endangered amphibians and stuff. And it's like all this kind of like, um,
2: Fear-monger, fear stuff that's yeah. put
1: out there based, based on ignorance. And I'm like, I've dug into the literature and I've gone to NWTF and stuff, you know, about them. And it's like, they got a bad rap in the States as well. And, you know, uh, usually things like, um, places where Turkey populations have increased and quail or Bob whites or rough grouse populations have decreased. People are like, well, it's the turkeys they're out competing them. And it's like, they're not, they co evolve together. They actually have their specialized niches, but what the scientists have shown is that human alteration, alteration of the landscape is affecting quail or bobwhite or rough gross habitat and making it bad for those species so they decline but the alterations are actually favoring the wild turkey hmm. so increases in the wild turkey weren't causing decreases in the rough gross the changes in habitat were affecting the you know the rough grouse. Yeah. and so there's all types of stuff like that in the literature that it's like these guys are not bad. They've been around for tens and tens of thousands of years. They've evolved with all these species. They're native. Um, so they're not, you know, they're not like an invasive carp that was brought over Yeah, from, you
2: well, know. <clears throat> One thing that we've seen on our like we we have we grow alfalfa. And a couple of summers ago, it was, oh man, I think it was pre-2018, but there were so many grasshoppers late, you know, late, late August. And we had a couple of hens with, I think there was four or five hens, you know, that they had gotten together. There was half grown poults running around and they were welcome in our hayfield, man. They would like hunt like those, those velociraptors on Jurassic park, you know, heads down, (laughs) asses up and just like going in a, in a, in a, in a line, just nuking the hoppers. And it was great. I mean, they, they were welcome. They're welcome to do that in the field. And you know, those grass iron, the hoppers were so bad. I heard a guy's screen door got eaten down the road that, uh, you know, so it's like, come on, bring Jeez. on the turkeys. Yeah. So they're.
1: no, I've heard that before. Um, I helped NWTF do a study, you know, um, 10, 15 years ago here in the East Kootenays and some of the private landowners had reported some of those things like the agriculture operators that actually said that they had some beneficial services from wild turkeys hanging around. One was controlling um, grasshoppers during sort of the epidemic outbreaks. The other was they were eating the seeds off of the weedy plants that were growing uh, around the farmyards, helping control that. Yeah, noxious Um, weeds for sure. Yeah. So they were actually identified some beneficial services where the rumors were that it was like, oh, the ranchers hate the wild turkeys and they're shooting entire flocks and burning them and, you know, and all this kind of stuff and kind of, you know, showing that that wasn't, wasn't necessarily what was, what was going on. But yeah, it, it, it is not, in my opinion, it's not a good thing when a wildlife reaches the point where people start to hate them.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, because um, then they they lose value, right? Then
1: they 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 lose their value, um, and then they try to use hunting, quote unquote, as the management tool to kind of bring balance to this. But then, like we were talking before we started recording, like with snow geese, and it's like there's no way. Hunters can bring these things under control, you know, like some of these smaller species when, when they, their populations start, start to take off. I mean, it's just like, they're, they're gone. The hunting opportunities there, maybe more people can get them, but you're never going to keep up with them. And I, I think that's the same with turkeys. Like you're never, they're so hard to hunt. Like you could be allowed five a year and you're probably not going to have a high enough success rate to impact the population. So yeah. Um, it It is unfortunate. I am seeing that in the province that there's this management move to using hunting to like, they're a pain in the ass. Like, let's just kind of get rid of them more. Yeah. So, and I don't know if you, you remember like the last regulation cycle two years ago, it was actually like a hunter led proposal that the government accepted to go to the no close season, no bag limit on wild turkeys on Vancouver Island. They were sort of like, we'll help you get rid of them. Hmm. Yeah. It's like, wow, that's the first time I've kind of ever seen that from the hunting community to say, let's use hunting as a management tool to get rid of something, right? So it's kind of, I guess the bad rap kind of exists.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a false logic that hunters want, I mean, the hunters that I know do not want to get rid of wildlife. They want more wildlife, and somehow these the turkey turkeys in BC have gotten such a bad bad rap. It's unfortunate.
1: But from what what I've seen um, with the harvest survey returns, um, they are the province is polling hunters to find out if they're turkey hunting. Um, they're running the stats on it. They put the confidence intervals, you know, around um, their estimates of the numbers of hunters. And what I've seen recently, like the last couple of years, there's between 1,800 and 2,000 hunters in BC um, that are hunting wild turkeys.
2: Hmm. So, so that's a that's, that's, a, a, that's a fair uh, amount of people.
1: That's a fair amount considering that they're only you know, in just the very Southern tip of region four and, and, uh, region eight mostly. Uh, and we're harvesting around the last couple of years, around 750 wild turkeys in BC. Okay. So that's, that's a lot of turkeys. Yeah. But I think I was telling you on texting there this morning but the success rate on wild turkeys in BC is only 40%. So 60% of all of those hunters are not harvesting a bird. So,
2: yeah, yeah. I had a few, I had a few texts, this opening, opening week of, you know, before the travel bands came in, guys are like, Hey man, where do I go? I can't find any turkeys. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> yeah, saw, just, <laughs> I saw lots of it. You see anything? Haven't seen <laughs> yeah. anything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah we're looking to, you know, you want to be polite and you know, help guys out and you're, you know, you're scratching your head sometimes too.
1: Yeah. No, it's a pretty slow morning. I've only got four gobbling at me right now. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> and I missed one. How are you doing? Yeah, oh, man. Yeah. Um, so, what do what are your thoughts on a uh, a tag? You and I have talked about this before so, for the wild turkey.
2: It's interesting that you say that. I was thinking. Oh man, I was thinking about that. So a couple of years ago, I was helping a friend. He uh, he actually breeds falcons long story short his bands because you know when you raise falcons you go they got to be government bands. so we we had to whip down to victoria to get these bands because his chicks needed to be banded i i won't drop any names on which biologists i talked to i was like hey man like, you guys should be doing a tag system and his comment really resonated he was like well man we tried we tried doing a fallow deer tag and it didn't work and then i was like man like what did you guys the 10 guys hunt fallow deer in bc like so on that one
1: ranch there yeah, by on, Anarchist Pass. It's
2: like, <laughs> come on, like, look at like you, the numbers you just said. It's a missed, it's a missed uh, opportunity to put value on our, on our birds. Especially with the increase of people that we've been seeing coming from the other provinces. Cause they're just like, they can't believe their luck. You know, yep. there's, you know, there's some sports stores on highway one. They're coming into Salmon Arm and you know, they're huge sales on Turkey stuff. Cause you come coming from Calgary and boom grab your stuff and head to the Okanagan. Yeah.
1: Most, most of the stuff I've seen, there's been a couple of, um, hunter polls that I participated in doing with a couple of different groups. Um, generally there's fairly good support, um, by people that participated in the polls for a tag. Um, people would like to see the entire cost of the tag go to, wildlife management like back to the habitat conservation trust exactly. foundation like and, and, they would like to see for all tags um however as you know if there was a turkey tag there would at least be the hctf conservation surcharge on the tag then at least us turkey hunters resident turkey hunters would be putting seven or eight bucks off of a tag back to hctf yes which is better than zero?
2: Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's if there's that's two thousand of us. That's the kicker. Is like the money go tag money goes into the general revenue, and it's you know people are frustrated. They like I've, everybody. I shouldn't say everybody. Most of the guys that I know, they want to see a dirty tag. Yeah, and that's that's the bottom line. Yep. Hashtag tag and, and
1: hashtag. Hashtag tag Turkey. Hey, I like that. Hashtag yeah, tag. tag Turkey BC. Tag. Yeah, um, turkey. yeah. Cause as far as I know, we are the only jurisdiction in North America, Turkey jurisdiction does not have a tag. Yeah. Um, that's the best, the best I can, I can put on it. And to me, a tag shows some value. Um, it's important. Um, and Turkey hunters are contributing a bit more back into conservation and that's the link that i like that feeling that um, like we have the HCTS charge that comes off of our hunting license to hunt a turkey um, but if we also had to buy a tag uh, then that's a bit more that goes back and i'm like there's nothing wrong with a bit more going back to conservation and,
2: and- it- it would be so interesting to see that first year, how many turkey tags are sold. If absolutely. They, if, if they did it, it would be unbelievable to see, oh man, yeah, yeah you know, that's absolutely correct. There's a lot of people buying a turkey tag because they're heading out.
1: Yep. And, and that in itself is going to kind of show, you know, wildlife managers like this is, you know, this is a big thing. It's important and maybe we should pay attention to it. And hunters are saying they're interested in it and it's like that's kind of the game right like it's like if hunters are interested in it and they're getting it for food and then it's like well they're doing well like as you said and we're not even doing anything and they're doing well, which would be great to have more wildlife in the province where you didn't have to do anything. And they well, were just like, the numbers were growing. That's the it's thing, like, right? We, little, we,
2: we have all these groups. We have all these, you know, we're, you know, Southern interior mule deer and, you know, wild sheep. We're trying to save everything. And turkeys are like, do, do, do. We're just kicking ass over here. Like <laughs> nobody, no, you know, master. nobody, nobody helping them and they're just giving her and we're just, yeah, it's like, I do mean, yeah, how so do you, how like, do you describe that? It's we, we, we can't, Yeah. It's, it doesn't make any sense.
1: So, so, yeah, throw, throw a tag on it like eight, ten dollars, twelve dollars, fifteen dollars. I'd pay twenty five, I'd pay four. I think they're like twenty six bucks or something in Ontario. Um, and they generate like a whack of money off their, off their turkey tags. And
2: yeah. Well, I think the Maritimes are going to start hunting. I think it just got, Oh man, I can't remember which, which province it is, but New Brunswick. I, yeah. I think they had like 15,000 season. They had 15,000 people sign up to go turkey hunting. Like that's yep, a lot 400, of 400,
1: 400 permits or 200 permits or something like that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I mean, yeah, they, they were bottom line BC needs to pay attention.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, abs, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I hope, you know, in the future that, The turkey populations and the hunting opportunity stays in the realm that we can harvest them. And if you want to go out, you can hunt them. And even if the harvest level stays the way it is, everybody freely has a chance to go out and hunt them and just experience what you talked about, just that excitement of calling these things and not actually having to get one um but as you know with increasing demand and more and more hunters out there putting pressure on it that there usually is a tipping point where something happens and seasons get cut back or things go on to limited entry um i hope we never get there with wild turkeys because i i would want someone to have that experience that yeah you know that we have with that just that at least being out there in the morning and hearing gobbling like that's that is yeah.
2: what makes it all. And sitting where we are now, if we lost what we had, oh man, remember what it was like back in five years ago? There's you know, let's say we had some weird turkey disease that came and wiped them out. We'd be like, man, we had it good. Yeah, we, didn't it we, we, we didn't even know what we had. So and
1: and I think uh, I don't know if you you know you agree with us, but at least if we had a tag. You know, starting out like you said, then it would actually quantify the demand. Yeah. You know, so so yeah. So how much demand is there, and and get at least get a better handle on that to give us a sense of, you know, is is an open season hunt sustainable? Um, you know, you're allowed a spring tom in region four and one in region eight. Like how many people are getting two? We don't know that right now, because um, there is no tag and yeah i i just i just think a tag would help with that first step of kind of going is is this you know a sustainable hunt you know given given like what you're seeing too with increased demand for it so yeah
2: and yeah, today's day and age it's you know with with the way we buy our tags now how i mean how hard can it be to implement to get a tag put in well, Every, everything's online
1: i've heard i've been trying For quite a few years now. Um, Kudos to you. I've heard all the excuses. I've heard how much it costs. It has to be a treasury board submission, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, So, you know, I've heard can't have a tag on something that's not a native species in the province. Um, That was one of the things I heard. And it's like, well, the bison up north are not the true woods bison that were native to the pink mountain area they're actually a domestic hybrid plains bison that's running around and they're one of the most sought after leh tags in the province and it's like so demand is there for turkeys and stick a tag on them as well right like the the non-native species thing argument didn't really cut it with me so
2: i'm sure i mean i don't know the numbers but i'm sure there's more turkey hunters than there are bison hunters no, what, probably
1: what are, just because the fact that it's open season.
2: Yeah. Well, there you go.
1: But uh, I mean, I've heard a few people um that are against it. I've heard a few people that are against it because I go, well, it's a money grab. And it's like, well, it's a money grab. So we can try to put a few of the bucks back into conservation. So yeah. if you, if you think that's a money grab, if you think that 2000 turkey hunters buying a $10, $12, $15 tag is a meaningful money grab. Yeah. <laughs> for a government that's got a 50 billion dollar budget or whatever it is, for, you know, for our province it's like Yeah. man, they'll spend more on a luncheon spread in Victoria for some special event than than what we'll ever make off of, you know, turkey tags. So it's definitely not a money grab. Yeah. I've heard the argument of you know, oh man, now what are they going to like, you know, make us buy? At least the turkeys were kind of like one of the, one of the gimmies. I could go hunt it for quote unquote free. And that's, yeah. I'm like, what kind of attitude is that? Right.
2: Well, I, think it would, I think it would also help. Our way. Yeah. It would also help the conservation officer service. You know, they're, they're out checking everybody. And right now, oh yeah, I got a turkey. My first one, my only one. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, yep. there's no way to I there's no way for the seal service yeah. to even monitor it.
1: Yep, and we do have um, a December LEH season in Region Four, um, so that's a bizarre situation for conservation officers that you can have an LEH authorization and no tag.
2: Yeah, that's in your pocket. Weird.
1: And in Region Four, you are allowed one in the spring, a bearded turkey in the spring. You're allowed two in the fall, any sex, but if you had, if you harvested all three birds, you can't use your LEH authorization in December. Even if you were lucky to draw one, cause <laughs> you, you reached your regional bag limit, but they have no way of knowing you could, you could have harvested three birds, one in the spring, two in the fall, and then had an LEH and be out in December and without a tag enforcement has no way of knowing. If you're at your regional bag limit, yeah. so and oh, there you, you go, just can't get the tag through. So yet, yet, yet. yeah, we'll <laughs> wrap like, it up like here that. at the end and uh, tell people if they're interested in this, how they can help. So, um, hey man, thanks. Oh, this yeah. has been
2: awesome. Yeah, thank you guys, man.
1: Turkeys, we could go on for hours about oh, turkey man. hunting. It's just. Amazing. I hope you all get fired up a little bit and get out, get out last two weeks. Give her, give her the college try or whatever they call it. Right. (laughs) Hmm. So if you, uh, if someone is, someone hasn't hunted wild turkeys and they're like, I listened to those guys, darn, I'm, I'm going to go get, give it a try. Um, what's your advice to them? for the last two weeks of the season?
2: Uh, Biggest thing is patience. If you, they they hear a lot better than you think they can hear. If you're, you know, sit tight, give it 45 minutes, just sit tight. Every, you know, 10 minutes, throw a couple calls out and just watch, let your eyes do the walking. Okay. Cool.
1: Good, good advice. Yep, absolutely good, good advice. My advice is take that 20% discount for the iHunter app and get that public private land subscription so when you're out you know
0: <laughs> oh totally where
1: the private land is
0: yeah we cause... we actually used that uh not last weekend but the weekend before we came across a fence line and we're like man it's weird and looked on the app and sure enough the private land was Two hundred yards past the fence line. Two hundred yards past the
1: fence line. The fence line was just an old, like range, range line fence or it, yeah. line or whatever that happened to cut across a patcher and it was all dilapidated. And it was like, I always thought it used to be that. Well, this was the private land, right? And then we used the iHunter app, and we pulled it up, and it's like, you know, you got to be a little bit careful. I mean, it's not like, you know five centimeters to the edge of the property line. Like the lines get thick when you zoom in. So, you know, you got to be, give yourself a, a bit of a buffer, but it was like, it was way off. Like yeah. Hmm. Curtis said, a good couple of hundred meters. And um, so that was interesting to learn that. So
2: yeah. And yeah. And get permission, like knock on doors. I'm a, land, I'm yeah. a landowner and there's nothing worse than the trust, you know, people trespassing and yeah. Knock on doors, ask permission. Totally.
1: Yep. That that's a, uh, that's another good, good piece of advice so do you do you find out in your neck of the woods do you think wild turkeys are living more on private land than they were 10 15 20 years ago
2: or equal oh, i would i don't think there's been much change i think there's there's definitely staying out of out of the city where i'm close to so they're not going into town which is nice they're not they're not getting a bad rap as far as i know so okay. they're well, you know good. they're kind of just doing their thing.
1: Well, that's good. Cause I mean, one of the fortunate things we have in British Columbia is we have so much public land, but these two tur- turkeys do tend to live, you know, in the Valley areas where our farmlands and settled areas are. And, um, I like the fact, and I see that in region four that, yeah, some of them are on private land. Sometimes they're on, sometimes they're off. There's a few that just, that don't leave, um, there's some kind of magical barrier. They come up to it and, you know, stay on the private land. But for the most part, they're not all migrating to private land and never coming off. I just don't think we have enough hunting pressure for them to like have completely said, screw the public land, we're gonna live on private land for the rest of our lives. So um, the public land opportunities I think are still pretty amazing.
2: Yeah, I I I would agree, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's good. And uh, if they do start to live on private land like yours too much, then you have, you have to start scaring some of them off. So.
2: <laughs> or yeah. Sit on the fence and call. They'll come. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Use your iHunter app. Sit just off the edge of the fence. So I have learned if you want to give a tip on that one, when turkeys come to a barbed wire fence, they go underneath of it. I, yep. I, don't, I don't think they know how to fly. I, I had some that were on the other side of one of those big elk fences, those big 12 foot tall ones, three toms, and they could see my decoys outside, and they were going ballistics back and forth on this fence, and they were trying to figure out, and I'm like, good God, you guys, like, <laughs> you know, things, like yep. flap them and just, like, fly up over, and uh-huh. like, there you are in front of me, um, but they didn't, finally they gave up and left, but I have seen them on barbed wire fences and they they'll come up to it and they might see your decoys or they know you're on the other side they're a little weirded out by the barbed wire fence and they'll pace back and forth along it and they kind of look for just the right spot to go under but they know they're vulnerable when they duck under so if you're too tight to the fence they'll stay on the other side and they'll pace back and forth, and then you might end up losing their interest, and they stay on the private land. So my advice is, is like back off that private land, so they come along, they see the fence, they duck under it, and then they still have to go like a, you know, fifty or hundred yards yeah. to get to you. So, but I don't know. There's another tip for folks. So yeah, um, cool man. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, love, that was fantastic. Love talking turkey hunting, and yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, it's I'm always, a, always gonna, a
2: pleasure meeting other turkey hunters.
1: Oh, absolutely. So hopefully uh, we get more and more in the province and get people knowing about them, get people advocating for their conservation and standing up for them when the public says they hate them and they want to get rid of them. We're like, we love them.
2: Hmm, yep. <laughs> I agree. Cool, man. Over cool. to you, Curtis. Right
0: on. So speaking of the iHunter app, once again, thanks to the crew over at iHunter for being an episode supporter. If you are interested in getting their public land subscription, make sure you head over to web.ihunterapp.com and use the code Podcast for 20% off your first year of the public land subscription. The code is available for all the apps, uh, British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, New Brunswick, and Nova Scotia. Fantastic tool. We talk about it all the time. Like we just said, we just used it two weekends ago out turkey hunting. Uh, You guys should really check it out. So thanks again to the folks down at iHunter for supporting this episode and giving you guys a sweet deal. And thanks again to the hideout restaurant and brew house for sponsoring this episode. After a long, dark winter, why not catch some sun and fresh air on the patio? It's light out well past supper time. So whether it's lunch, dinner, or happy hour, go enjoy it on the patio. I mean, obviously if it's raining and cloudy, there won't be any sun, but even then you can go hang out under the tents. So you really don't have an excuse (laughs) not to go. If going out isn't your style, you can always order in as well. Pick up a six pack and a burger and enjoy it on your own patio, whatever you so choose. The Hideout Restaurant and Brewhouse in Cranbrook. Thanks guys again for supporting this episode or sponsoring. They're the sponsor. Um, and if we got you all fired up about turkey hunting, uh, if you're just thinking, maybe we should get into turkey hunting. We do still have our turkey hunting masterclass on our website, as well as our turkey hunting film, The Wild Turkey Is Calling get some mid-season stoke, learn some mid-season tactics. Absolutely. Cool stuff.
1: Yep. If you need to take the course, thehunterconservationist.com masterclasses and sign up. And the Wild Turkey is Calling is on Vimeo On Demand. So we'll leave folks with a call to action, um, pick up on this conversation about getting a species tag for wild turkey, wild Miriam's turkey, uh, in British Columbia. Uh, The province and all the hunting groups and stuff are into the throes of discussing The next regulation hunting regulation cycle in the province proposals are being moved forward um, provincially and coming forward from the region soon if you're part of a hunting organization or group in British Columbia um, it would be awesome if your group submitted its formal um, recommendations for hunting regulations proposals um, that one of the asks was for a species tag for wild turkeys in British Columbia so that we can put a bit more into the wildlife conservation pot um, if you're also interested as an individual we will put the email address of a couple of key people including the director of the wildlife branch in our show notes and would ask you to write the individuals just nicely and say hey I I like turkeys, I like turkey hunting, Um, I'm a turkey hunter, I want to be a turkey hunter, I would like for my hunting experience to put a little bit of money into the Habitat Conservation Trust Foundation, please create a species tag for wild turkey at the next regulation cycle and send that uh, email in. We've tried the last couple of regulation cycles in pushing a formal proposal through the provincial advisory table, um, and uh, it gets stalled uh, at the government side of things. So if it's something you're interested in, in supporting that, it just needs more voices of more hunters writing in and saying, we think a tag that contributes to conservation for turkeys is a good thing, please get it done for the next reg cycle. So we'll put those emails in the show notes. So hope you all take us up on that. Um, It's a good thing for wildlife management. All right, everybody, we will see you in the next episode.